if our social media companies and our news media don't trust us, can we trust them? So while everybody's waiting on bated breath for Paul to answer that question, they should know that this is This Week of Common Sense uh, for the last week of April or the first day of May in 2020. And Paul, you're obviously talking about your Friday piece, Lockdown and Shut Up. I am. Everybody's talking about this now. At least anyone who's not on the left has noticed this is a problem, right? Yes, yes. And it's, uh, you know, something that we haven't covered is the Biden, the allegation against Joe Biden of sexual assault. And, uh, you know, probably should have. It's just, you know, there's a lot of things happening, a lot of moving parts in this world. But what's kind of funny to me is I thought today as I was listening to some of the different, you know, television news and so on, all of a sudden that's heating up. And in the same way that I think the news media had their thumbs on the scale in the last presidential election, in a way that I wonder if it didn't help Donald Trump, who they were trying to take out, I think that the New York Times and the Washington Post refusing for weeks until it became too embarrassing, refusing to cover the allegation against Joe Biden, in the end is going to hurt Biden. It makes it more of a story that our news media is not interested. And it shows such a tremendous uh, double standard that I think a lot of people who, you know, partisans are going to kind of go with their partisan view. But I think an awful lot of people in the middle uh, who are not Trump fans are wondering why the news media treats Trump in a way that they don't treat Joe Biden and uh, just lays it all bare. But of course, um, that not covering uh, a story or being laid to a story you know, some people may say, well, you know, every, nobody's perfect, except I think as we as we really dealt with in lockdown and shut up, um, our social media, biggest social media companies who are supposed to be serving us as customers, but instead are serving us up as dinner for their other customers, uh, and meaning that Facebook makes money off of us. And, uh, and, and we talked a week ago about Facebook, um, and it never was quite clear whether the governments of California and New Jersey and Nebraska actually requested them to take down these posts or whether they did it on their own. But frankly, the reality is those posts went down. And so this social media that was kind of the, the whole promise of social media in my mind was regular people could communicate. Uh, I remember how much credit social media got for the Arab Spring because people in Egypt and Tunisia and other places could talk to each other and organize in a way that was really essential uh, because it was a way that the government couldn't clamp down on it. Um, and, and now here we are in America and Facebook is pulling down posts that people are using to say, hey, we're going to have a protest against, you know, these lockdown policies. And and, you know, you know, somebody could say, well, Facebook is trying to protect us from from what ourselves. And that's what governments tend to want to do. Protect us from ourselves. We don't want the protection. We want to live our lives. We want to speak out. And, uh, and so that was, that was a terrible thing. And it sends the message that we've got to get new social media. Uh, I'm going to check out MeWe uh, and see if maybe that's a place where we ought to start posting things and, and so on. But uh, we're going to have to find other social media. It, one, it's the only way to keep Facebook in check, even if we were to stay on Facebook. Maybe Facebook can get better. But if not, uh, we've got to go elsewhere. And of course, that wasn't the, that was last week's story. This week's story is two doctors who've been actually, you know, working with patients and talking with other doctors. Uh, one they confirmed another story we did 
that suggested, and we'll get to that one uh, a little bit later, but uh, one of the stories we did suggested that there's huge incentives for uh, hospitals and doctors to say someone has COVID when maybe there's no evidence that they do, uh, that someone died of COVID-19 when maybe, you know, their death really wasn't so related to COVID-19 uh, because they have financial incentives. And of course, these two doctors in California, uh, Kern County, uh, you know, basically said that's what they're hearing from other doctors, that they're getting pressure to, uh, you know, to say that this death was a COVID-19 death. Um, but that video that they did, which is an hour-long video, uh, I had a lot of different, my sister posted, other friends talked about it. It took me a while to get to it. And then when I, I watched most of it and then went back to watch the, the rest of it, it wasn't there because YouTube pulled it down. And they pulled it down because it didn't fit the government regulations. And it turns out, as we pointed out, these weren't even, it wasn't even that it violated necessarily our own government, you know, state of California or federal government's guidelines. It violated the World Health Organization guidelines. So now the World Health Organization, which, you know, anybody who's followed the World Health Organization, the WHO, not the, not Pete Townsend and company, but, uh, but you know, the, this international UN agency, knows that there were all kinds of problems even before this latest. Uh, it's a political body. It does medicine political first. And, you know, here it was warned early on. It continued to say things, you know, that, that bolstered China's lies. And, and, you know, people are angry about that. And yet the major video media site in America is going to do whatever the World Health Organization tells them to do. Those of us who are putting videos on and watching videos and paying uh, for the service or watching advertisements that pay for the service and make this, make YouTube, which is part of Google, a very wealthy operation, to heck with us. They're following the World Health Organization. It's, it's almost as if we live in an unfree George Orwellian uh, world. And, uh, and of course, this, the piece we did, Lockdown and Shut Up, talked about YouTube and Facebook. But what sparked it was another video I saw that had Bill Maher, who's not my favorite guy, but certainly as a guy on the left who was talking to uh, Dr. David Katz and uh, Dr. Katz had, had done a piece in the New York Times basically saying, hey, I'm not sure that we're not letting the response to the coronavirus hurt us more than the coronavirus. And he's not a wild, uh, which of course is not so wild, an idea of, hey, you know, herd mentality, let people do what they want to do. Uh, I think freedom would not be a herd mentality thing. I think if, if people were free, you'd have a whole lot of people who were protecting themselves and being very, very careful. And then you'd have some other people who weren't. And you'd have some businesses opening because they see ways that they could do it safely. And other businesses staying closed because maybe they didn't. And would somebody make a mistake somewhere? Sure. But would we not suffer from massive, top-down, you know, mistakes by government where decisions are made politically instead of by a lot of individuals trying to figure out what's best for them and their families? We're going to have mistakes made either way. One set of mistakes, freedom, are going to be corrected quickly and are going to be small. And the others are going to be governments and they're going to be politically made and they're going to be slow to correct because they're too busy pointing fingers at somebody else who's at fault instead of them. And they're going to be massive, massive failures. And so, you know, it, it's a huge, huge problem. This belief that somehow if we're in a tough spot, we should 
turn our brains off, lock down our brains, shut our mouths, and just do what we're told. Uh, and what I find most funny is that, in essence, people on the left who hate Donald Trump's guts want him to take over everything and dictate every move we make. And I don't think that makes sense. And the truth is, I don't think it makes sense if it's somebody other than Donald Trump either. I think freedom is going to be the better way to go. And not that there isn't a role for government. There is. But the role is not dictator. If that's the only role they can play, then there's not one. But there are other roles they can play. They just have to be under some sort of citizen control. And, and that seems to have gone out the window in a lot of people's thinking, not just political hacks. I'm talking about regular people who are scared. And, and look, there's, there's ample reason to be scared. But I, I'm with cats. I'm more scared uh, by the response to the CCP virus, the coronavirus, than I am of the virus itself. And, and what Maurer said, um, I always, you know, I say his name all the time. I have no trouble. But anytime I do a video and I say his name, I just constantly butcher it and can't quite get it out. Bill Maher. There. There you go. See? Anyway. Um, but he commented after hearing what Dr. Katz had to say. In kind of a flippant way, but I think a way that, well, it just struck me. He said, and I'll quote, I think it's a shame that people like you who sound reasonable, maybe it's not the exact one true opinion you hear somewhere else, as if there is a one true opinion, but that's the world that we are sliding into has to go on Fox News to say it. Now, think about that for a minute. This is a very liberal, he's got his HBO show, a very liberal audience, and he is kind of acknowledging, not kind of, he's acknowledging that this can't be said on MSNBC or CNN. It's not going to be said on the ABC, NBC, CBS News. It's not going to be said by the mainstream liberal progressive media. That opinion is verboten. And so you're only going to hear it on Fox. And, and it, it struck me because for years I've told liberal friends who will, you know, just lambaste Fox. And, and frankly, I've got all kinds of complaints with Fox. I think, I think Fox does not present the progressive liberal position in an honest, straightforward way. I think they do the same thing the left does. They create these straw men. And it's not helpful to me, the audience, because I want to hear the whole story. I want to know what the real argument they're making on the other side is. I may or may not agree with it, but I want to hear it. And so I have all kinds of complaints with Fox. But as I point out to my liberal friends, you cannot ignore Fox because if you do, you ignore a huge part of the story. By, by me, you know, biting my tongue and, and having to watch MSNBC and CNN and some of the other outlets by reading and muttering horrible things every morning when I read the Washington Post or going to the New York Times website and seeing what they have to say, you know, I don't always agree and I see their, their slant, but at least I know what they're talking about. And if you cut off Fox because you don't like their politics, you're getting all of your news. If you're getting it from TV, you're getting all of your news from sources that will not tell you things that you need to know. And so this here was a, a, an admission of it, not coming from someone on the right, but from someone on the left. And, and we, we have talked about this a lot, Tim, uh, that, that our, Increasingly, it's obvious that our news media and our social media does not think that we're up to the job of taking in facts and making our own decisions. They want to tell us only the facts they think will lead us to the conclusion they want us to have. And uh, it, it's just it's a giant problem. The, the whole idea, as we point out in this commentary, of America, the very first principle 
is freedom of expression with the belief being that if if we can find out if everyone's free to speak sure some people are going to say things that that aren't quite true in fact almost everyone is going to say things that aren't quite true because everybody's view of truth is a slightly different but we want to hear them all we want this big diverse place where we can hear it all and make our own decisions and we aren't getting it they're taking it away and we have to fight to get it back to keep what we have of it and to expand it because if we leave it to the news media and to social media we are going to be separated from each other we're going to be getting only bits and pieces of the information we need and we're not we're not going to be able to have a free society um, and I don't I don't say that as if, oh, we had a wonderful, perfect free society and now we've lost it. And, gee, if we just do X, Y and Z, we'll have another perfectly free society. You, we've never had a perfectly free society. We're likely never going to have it. But, boy, I would like every bit as much of it as I can get. And this is, to me the bottom line, most important aspect. This is, as we've said many times, this is the gift that America's given the world more than any other, is the idea of, of robust debate and total freedom of speech. And we, you know, some people will argue, well, you know, Facebook, YouTube, these are private companies. One, they're getting pressure from the government, which is force which could regulate them out of business. So this is not just a private companies left to their own devices. But the truth is, um, this common sense program, this is commonsense.org on your internet dial, uh, but this common sense program is not designed just to keep you free from, from government but to keep people free to, to you know, be a champion for freedom in every way, shape, and form. If private companies are trying to take away our ability to have knowledge and to get a, a true story and, and some decent facts, uh, we want to call it out. And do they have a right to run their business as they want? Sure. They have a right free from government coercion, and they have a right not free from you and I as customers saying, no, no, no. We're not going to play ball if that's the way you treat us. We can handle the truth, and we damn well better get it, or we're going to go elsewhere. And this, this program is going to push for that uh, relentlessly. We have to. Now, what you just said uh, reminds me of about 100 different things. Uh, so, so I think I can argue with you for the rest of this podcast and for the next several, just on the basis of what you just said. Uh, not because I disagree, but just because there's so many things that are left unexplored. One of the things that immediately struck my mind is to what extent is the straw man of the left incorrect? Because all I see from the left now is an unwillingness to deal with other points of view. And they are sticking to a policy even after the rationale for that policy has stopped. They argued for the policy of the shutdowns for one reason, and they told us it wasn't going to stop, it wasn't going to cut down the number of deaths, it was going to move the deaths forward to flatten the curve. And this was to save healthcare system. That is our jerry-rigged, goofy, government-ruined healthcare system. I'm getting from my leftist friends and from CNN and other places, and Fauci, Dr. Fauci, that the reason to, to do this is to save lives. So now they've changed their tune for the very policies that they prefer. So I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be much nastier than you, so I'm, I'm just going to go all the way. To me, what the I'm left... I'm the nice guy. I just want everyone to know I'm the nice guy. Yeah, very much, much nicer than I am. And <laughs> what I'm going to say is that I don't see any evidence that the left now believes anything else than they prefer to advocate for government control of the populace because of what experts say, whatever the experts are. And, the, and that's why they're always talking about the experts and their experts and these experts, but your experts aren't experts. It's all this stuff is, is yeah. basically it's the old technocracy idea. They have the people who are in control. They're the right people, and we're going to shove it down your throats. And now they have, uh, they, they're trying to do this with the most uh, draconian and bizarre uh, system and with the worst excuses. 
I don't see any evidence for continuing all the, any of this. First of all, I argued with somebody on Facebook, uh, and, and we're on Facebook, Common Sense with Paul Jacob, but someone there posted something saying, you know, people are just hitting Fauci on some of these things because he's, um, you know, he, they, they're trying to protect Trump. And I said, well, wait a second, uh, you know, Fauci isn't right if Trump is wrong or Trump's right if, if Fauci, you know, there's right and there's wrong. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's almost like they, they accuse anytime you point out that China has been a bad actor in this. Oh, well, you're just trying to change the subject from Trump. Well, no, if you say Trump is a bad actor, let's discuss it. Um, and I, I think, look, our government is, ha, has not performed as well as they should have performed. I'm not sure that um, we should expect that government is going to always perform wonderfully in a pandemic because you know what? When there's no pandemic, they don't perform that well. Um, but but it's just there's there's all this my expert versus your expert. And and here this one woman who I know, a friend of mine. Um, said, I put my post was from a reputable source, meaning that somehow because it was, and it was Politico, which, you know, I'm not sure, (laughs) but the truth is, how would I counter that? What would my reputable source be? Well, you know, I, there are some sources that I think do a great job. I've been very thankful for the guardian in the UK because they seem to cover stuff ahead of the US media and without the same sort of partisan bias one way or the other. You know, in reading it, I think they have, you know, they're kind of on the left, but I think I, I think they do a decent job. Um, the Intercept, which is very much on the left, tends to cover things in ways that most of the left won't cover them. And so I appreciate that. Now, I but I wouldn't say, oh, those are reputable sources. Just believe anything they print because they have their own bias. And and so the, the truth is we're in a world and we've always been in this world. I mean, when when you had three networks uh, that were, you know, giving the news, it seemed like they were objective. But, it, you know, you just didn't have them being challenged. So it was it was worse, I think, in many ways today you have to question everything and you have to question the media you agree with as much, if not more than the media you disagree with. Um, and I think we'd be better off if media outlets would just say, Hey, here's where, here's our politics. Here's the general political bent we have, because it, at least that way they could claim some level of honesty. I think the most obnoxious is when they try to pretend that they're just covering everything objectively right down the middle, which is, which is crap. Um, but here you raised a really good point, which is the rationale for shelter in place was that we had to, we had to, you know, create a plateau, not a huge mountain, because if we had a mountain of cases, it would overwhelm the healthcare system. Well, that mountain hasn't come and maybe it's in large part, it's in some part, obviously, because of the shelter in place and the lockdown. How large a part? We don't know exactly. We never will know exactly because you can't go back and do it the other way. The time doesn't work that way. But it is true that the idea wasn't that somehow we shelter in place and the virus you know, runs off and hides somewhere else. It's still there. So we haven't solved you know, the problem. And the truth is now we're reading all these stories about hospital systems that may go under and healthcare workers being furloughed. Now there's a pandemic that's threatening us. There's this huge need for medical care. And yet we are basically firing or letting go all these nurses and doctors. Hospitals are closing down. And, of course, uh, State Representative uh, Billy Bob Falkingham, who's a friend of mine from Maine, uh, posted something this week, and we may do something on this later, may not, uh, but it was basically that he has a, a venous reflux, which I don't even know really what that does, but in his left leg. 
and he was going to get a procedure. And he pointed out that, you know, this isn't, you know, people don't generally die from this. But at different times, if it isn't taken care of, there can be complications. And one time he had to take some medicine or something that that was, you know, somewhat dangerous. He got into a field. I may be misstating it slightly. I'm not a doctor, um, although I'm willing to prescribe it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> you know how they always they always have this disclaimer, and I've always thought, nah, just ask me. I'll tell you anything. Anyway. Um, but he made the point, which you can see in other cases, like a, a bypass surgery for someone who's got uh, heart disease. Uh, that's not an emergency surgery, always. Sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's not. But, you know, you don't know when that heart attack's coming. And, and so these sorts of things need to be taken care of. And yet we have cleared the decks on all the hospitals. Nobody can get any type of surgery. People are going to die. Um, because they couldn't get medical care. And why? So that we can sit there with nothing to do with these hospitals because this flood of uh, COVID-19 patients hasn't materialized. And, and so how would it be different if instead of having the government tell us everything and control everything, people could just freely do what they wanted? Well, I suspect that a lot of hospital systems early on would have said, some of these surgeries can be put off. Others, let's do them. But be aware, we might have to call you with almost no time, or you might come into the hospital and all of a sudden a thousand COVID-19 patients show up and we have to tell you, no, you can't have the surgery today. Even though we've prepped you, you're gonna have to go home. Well, you know, that happens all the time. And, it, and it's not the end of the world. But what we, we would have seen is hospitals making individual decisions based on their reality instead of seeing a state that has one part of the state with a bunch of you know people uh, who have COVID-19 and other parts that don't and the whole state being shut down so that people in parts of the state that don't have COVID patients are being told they can't have unnecessary surgeries that of course are necessary. They're just not a, you know, an ambulance emergency at this exact moment. And so this is, this is the value of millions of people having freedom to make their own best educated as they can be decisions instead of somebody at some ivory tower making that decision for us. And, and so this, this is something that I think, I think you're going to see right now. Look at the polls and you'll see that most people think we should be sheltering in place. We don't want to die. We don't want to kill other people. Um, and those numbers are 60%. They may be higher uh, in some of the polls I've seen. It depends, obviously, how you ask the question and so on. But I think you're going to see that turn because the folks who are making these on high decisions are, they're gonna now be politically scared that if they open up too quickly, if they don't control things, you know, as long as they're controlling everything, they're the, you know, the big shot. And as long as they can say, hey, I minimize the number of COVID deaths, even if you've got deaths from all kinds of other things, that's what they're looking at. And, and so we, we as people, have to assert ourselves back into this equation. And that's why, you know, you know, if I were gonna go to a protest, I'd wear a mask, I'd, I'd do some different things. Um, you know, I'd have hand sanitizer in the car when I got back uh, to, you know, wipe my hands down and stuff. But I think it's critical that people are going to these protests because otherwise we may be locked down forever. And that's the other, the other place that I so fault the media. When it comes to spending these trillions, we're looking at three trillion, four trillion, however many trillions of dollars just got invented and thrown out into the marketplace. I haven't heard the tough questions from the media. They ask a lot of sometimes kind of nasty questions to the president, but, but questions that, hey, they need to be asked. But how about some tough questions about where does this money come from? And what does this do long time, long term 
to our economy that there's all this money floating out there. And uh, but they just haven't asked those. Instead, they want to tell us and tell us and tell us these ridiculous things like we don't need a mask. And then two weeks later, tell us, oh, you must have a mask. <laughs> you know, it's and everything is spoken as if they are the authorities when it's just they've been wrong so often. Cut the, the pompous stuff. You guys aren't authorities. We're all trying to make our way through this. Admit what you don't know. So I'm, I'm very, very um, critical of the media from that vantage point. And I'm also critical in that they have never gotten their heads around. How long? We know that, you know, can we spend the rest of time in our, could we spend the next 50 years in our homes, just waiting for the federal government to put money into our bank account, go into the store maybe once a week, you know, just every, you know, washing down everything with Lysol, and not Lysol, but, uh, you know, uh, Clorox wipes or something when we buy it from the store. How long could this last? Well, it seems to me there's a real limit to how long it can last, but none of those questions have been asked. And the truth is, I don't think that limit is 10 years or a year or six months or maybe even five or four or three months at a certain point you've got businesses going under that cannot ever get back up again at least not without it being a brand new business you've got i mean you just have serious serious problems and we talked a, a week ago we we uh, wrote a commentary about the fact that you know we're, we're likely to see when this this ends that folks on the left are saying, oh, now capitalism hasn't launched everything back into service immediately. So it's capitalism's fault after, in essence, what this lockdown is, is kicking capitalism to the ground, saying we don't need an economy. Who needs the economy? We'll just turn it back on when we feel like it and everything will work wonderfully. Well, you don't understand how economies work. And again, part of that is not understanding that an economy is trillions and gazillions of decisions being made by different people at different times with different levels of information. And, and so it's a lot like the kind of political decisions or, or other social decisions that we would make. Freedom allows people to make those decisions and knowledge allows them to make better decisions. And anyway, I think from a political standpoint, we are being lectured to by the media. We are being told what to think by the media and not given information. And that's got to change. I wanted to put another monkey wrench into this conversation. Uh, because you mentioned it a little while ago that... Uh, it's not You're really trouble. a free press. What? You're trouble. Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. I, I'm really curious. This is an interesting subject to me. Uh, it's not really a free press, you said, uh, if they're being threatened by government, you know, you know, in various ways, you know, with regulation is always at the back. Uh, Mises called it the gun under the table, uh, which is a problem right. when you deal with, with government programs and regulation and things like that. But, you know, there's another element here that you haven't talked about, and maybe no one really wants to talk about it, but... The CIA had a prop, had an operation called Operation Mockingbird in the 1960s. The CIA has been in the disinformation game for decades. The number of people in the major media who have connections to the CIA or to one of the other alphabet soup companies. Right. Are, it's, it's, it's just huge. By the way, alphabet, it's kind of amusing to me that uh, Google's called Alphabet Inc. And uh, then you have the... Uh, well, which, which agency of the U.S. government that's in disinformation uh, hired them to do what they're doing? I've, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. But the right. real question I wonder a little about is, is that there's a lot of ties to the CIA. Anderson Cooper was a CIA intern. There are gobs of people with huge, deep ties to the CIA and to the intelligence establishment. Uh, Joe Scarborough's pretty uh, blonde uh, sidekick. Is she his wife? Uh, yes. Yeah, now. yeah. She's... The daughter of Zbigniew Brzezinski. Right. right. Who was national security advisor. These, all these people have these deep ties to the deep state, basically. And many of these companies, CNN and MSNBC, have hired F a former heads of the FBI and 
uh, and and CIA as consultants. So we're not dealing with a company in a normal sense. Some of these are kind of almost now seem a lot to me like front organizations, that we're getting the deep states. Uh, I'm just throwing it out there. It's possible right. that we're getting right. a deep state plan or a deep state bias anyway. And I don't trust the deep state well, as far as I can throw it. I think there's a big difference between a deep state plan and a deep state bias. But at a certain point, you know, maybe those can start looking like each other a little bit more than we would like. And and, you know, uh, I've heard about Anderson Cooper. It's one thing to be an intern. Of course, you don't you know, I've, I've had interns uh, who work for me and then have played major, major roles in in uh, different nonprofits that I've had. So so sometimes you, <clears throat> people say intern and. And someone thinks, well, that's no big position at all. And then other times it actually is a important position and people do really excellent work and important work as interns. Um, but let's cast that as, aside because we don't know, you know, whether he, you know, was going to get lunch for people or, or was doing something more. But the level of interaction, the level of connection, um, and, and I think a lot of you know, Republicans have a lot of problems with the media. And part of the reason I saw a, 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 some article I was looking at today was talking about some of the media bias and why they didn't ask any questions of uh, Joe Biden or why they haven't asked some of the potential vice presidential candidates who've been on CNN or, or MSNBC or other networks. Um, didn't ask them any questions about uh, uh, Tara Reid's um, sexual assault allegation against Biden. And of course, I see this picture of Jake Tapper and Chuck Todd and uh, George Stephanopoulos. And well, where did George Stephanopoulos come? He was a key figure in Bill Clinton's campaign. So as he's dealing with some of these different allegations, so on, he's going to have a little different opinion about the history of these allegations than maybe someone who wasn't so close to Bill Clinton. Um, Chuck Todd worked for Democratic um, legislators and comes from the Democratic side. I don't know as much about uh, Jake Tapper, but he clearly is on the left. Um, and, and so, you know, we're seeing so much of this, I'm in politics, now I'm in the media. And you see it, it. There's some of it on both sides. Uh, there's MSNBC has uh, somebody who worked. I'm, I can't think of her name at the moment. Uh, I try my Nicole Wallace, who I try to avoid watching. Um, but she worked for George W. Bush. And uh, Dana Perino, who's on Fox, uh, worked. I think she worked for uh, George H. W. Bush, maybe. No, it was George W. Bush. Was it George W. Bush yeah. too? Anyway, uh, and maybe it was, maybe it's reversed on that. Maybe when Nicole Wallace worked for H.W. Bush, I don't remember. Yeah. They may have worked for George George W. Um, as I get older, I can't think of anybody's age or 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 judge that anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad about those cells going away. Anyway, um, but but you do have a lot of fraternization between media and politics, and you know that's there should be some careful thinking about that. And I think that that's gone out of the, out the window. I think in the past, you would have seen uh, media executives saying, hey, you know, you have to be careful about not looking biased when you're talking about these stories. And they might catch something they said and say, hey, you know, there's some bias there. I know uh, uh, when I worked at U.S. term limits back in the 90s, we had an intern who ended up being our director of research, um, but she came from democratic uh, circles. And there were more than a few times where, you know, nobody felt like we were saying something that was biased. And a lot of us were libertarians, not, not Republicans. And there were others that were Republican, <clears throat> but our, you know, we are somewhat constrained by our philosophies and by our experiences. And it's helpful to have someone around who says, wait a second, that doesn't sound right to me. 
Um, and it's funny, she tells this great story uh, about, uh, and I won't out her here, but uh, she's a wonderful person, but she tells this great story when she was a kid and Reagan got reelected in and won every state except for, I believe, Massachusetts. Um, and uh, in 1984, and she couldn't believe it because she said, I didn't know anybody who liked Reagan, not a single person who liked Reagan. Now, of course, she was a kid and didn't, didn't get out as much. But but uh, but it's funny, you know, and that's not just, oh, there's someone on the left who is biased. The same thing's true in other areas of the country where if if what you're around, you know, you you kind of think that's the world. Um, but I think that the constraint and the concern about being partisan has kind of gotten tossed out the window. And so now when you see people in important media roles who were partisans in the political process, I don't think they're getting the same sort of, hey, let's let's be nonpartisan, let's check some of your biases. I think they're being told, hey, let it fly. So we, we are in a little bit different world, I think, because of that. And it's not just partisan bias. I think you're also right that, you know, I live in the Washington, D.C. area, and a lot of people here work for the government. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, sometimes is growing up, you know, a government job, you know, you didn't necessarily have to work quite as hard, didn't have to, you know, make a profit to stay in business you were kind of guaranteed things were going to keep going. And one of the things that scared me a little bit when I moved to Washington was sometimes driving home, usually, you know, fairly late, seven, eight o'clock at night sometimes, and seeing lights on in some of the government buildings and the government offices. And I thought, you know, oh, wait a second. We don't want them to stay up too late, work too hard. Um, so anyway, uh, it there is that that problem, I think, with our media and it's again, it's a matter of accountability and people holding media accountable. It's called the fourth estate. They seem to see themselves as playing a very critical role in the whole process. I do, too. But I want them to play that role being held accountable and giving us the information and letting us know here's where we're coming from and here's the information, and here's why we think this is important, or that's important, or that's not so important. I don't want them hiding the information from us because they don't think we'll take it well. At the risk of being an advocate of fake news or a perpetrator of fake news, I should mention that when I introduced this segment uh, 40 minutes ago, we were in 40 minutes, by the way. Yes. Uh, 40 minutes on one column. Thank you that, too, that, that we're going on and on, and this, which is good. This is important. Yeah, um, uh, I, but I call this uh, Friday's piece, Locked Out and Shut Up. It's Thursday's piece. It's Thursday's we're recording piece. this on Thursday. I'm used to recording it on Friday, so I thought it was Friday's piece. It's Thursday's yes. piece. <laughs> well, we should mention Friday's piece, uh, which is Action Ensued which is kind of a fun piece. It's a fun piece and a not so fun piece. And, and here's what it's about. Mayor Bill de Blasio in New York City has issued lockdown orders. The big controversy now is he called out uh, Jewish people, uh, um, uh, Hasidic Jews had a, a, a very important person. I don't know the, all the details of it, uh, but passed away and they held a funeral and they were attempting to do it as carefully as they could, but it turned out they had a lot of people come out because this was somebody who was revered. And, um, and I'll tell you when this is all over, um, you know, as you get older, I don't want the government telling me I can't risk my life to go to a funeral. Because if someone I dearly love is being put in the ground, I want to be there. And I'm, I might want to take that risk. Um, the idea that my wife could get COVID-19 and be in a hospital and they tell me I can't come see her. Uh, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't think that that's the, the type of world I want to live in. And so there, some of these issues are big. But I'm, I, I won't go on a tangent because we're 40 minutes in. <laughs> but anyway... Um, 
But de Blasio decided to have what, I don't know what else you call it other than a snitch line, maybe a, a big brother snitch line. And it basically, and I thought when I first heard this, I thought someone was goofing on him and it was some meme where they had taken something he'd done totally out of context and was just bashing him for no fair you know, purpose. And then it turns out, no, this is what he's doing. He's like telling New Yorkers, call this snitch line if you see your neighbors doing something they shouldn't be doing and we'll get it to the police. And of course, he sets up this this system and all hell breaks loose because people are sending, you know, memes, you know, uh, Hitler memes and so on. And uh, just just, you know, going apoplectic as they should, because this is totalitarian thinking. And again, in this, you know, when when their chips are down. And when people are put under pressure, sometimes you find out really important things. Sometimes the person you thought was cool and calm and collected is a little bit panicky. And sometimes the person you thought might be panicky is a little cooler and calmer and collected. And we are finding out that our government and our leaders, I have my air quotes going, sometimes think that they can do anything they want, that, that their orders are gospel. And they not only think that, but then they go and implement programs that you could take out of what Joe Stalin did in the Soviet Union or Adolf Hitler did in Germany um, or Mao did in, in China or Xi Jinping is still doing in China. Um, and this is one of them. This is snitch on your neighbors. Boy, I well, we we end that commentary by saying, by applauding even some of the outrageous things that I wouldn't have sent in. Uh, there was a lot of uh, of uh, middle fingers uh, and middle fingers. That's one thing we can say that they sent. Yes, that's right. Uh, I wouldn't have necessarily sent all those, but I applaud them. And as I ended that commentary, is this a great country or what? Because when our leaders behave that way, there's got to be a response. And the response does not need to be timid. It doesn't need to be a letter to the editor that's thoughtful and calm. Sometimes it needs to be, hey, buddy, you are insane. You don't you don't speak for this city or this state or this country. Uh, what, what de Blasio, what a, you know, uh, funny that he didn't take off as a presidential candidate. I don't think, I don't know how he ever got elected, but we won't get into our elections because uh, we get choices that, that you just can't win. Right. Uh, I've uh, forgotten. Did you cover his demand uh, or suggestion, I guess we should say, of drafting doctors? You did, didn't you? Yes, I did. On, on Monday, I wrote the piece, Why Not Ask for Help? And weeks ago, I had been impressed that uh, the National Health Service in, in Britain was crumbling, was just it was having a tough time. And of course, it's had some tough times even before the, the pandemic, but was really having a tough time. And they got the idea of asking for help. They set up a website. They made a pitch for please help us, please volunteer to help. And of course, they're not looking for people to volunteer as a brain surgeon. They're looking for people to volunteer to help the nurses and doctors make the, you know, in some cases they were driving nurses and doctors back and forth uh, so that they didn't have to spend so long commuting or, or what have you, or getting food for people. And, and a lot of this was envisioned to help people who shouldn't go out because they're compromised physically in some way uh, but to deliver food for them. So it was, it was to volunteer in all kinds of different ways, but specifically, uh, to help the national health service in four days, they hope to get 250,000 volunteers in four days. They got 750,000 volunteers. They ended up basically shutting down the website in the sense of telling people, Hey, 
until we can find ways to use all these volunteers we have, we're not taking any more. That is, and, and look, I know, I feel it myself. I'd love to find ways to help in this terrible time. We all feel that. And some of us are more able, have more free time, what have you, but ask and people will help. That's the way this world should work and does work if you bother to ask. But of course it was Mayor de Blasio who said that we need to be conscripting, forcing people, drafting people to be in the medical services and others, drafting doctors and nurses, drafting other people to help <clears throat> without any, any comment about, hey, why don't we ask some people to help? No, we just immediately go to we're the kings and queens and we're going to demand that you give up your freedom and you come here and we'll tell you what to do. Just outrageous. And of course, there was another professor who had written a piece saying, why aren't we considering conscription and making the point that young people are less able or are less likely to die from this. So it's OK for us to force them to go do all these things. You know, I've never heard an older person suggest that older people should be drafted. Apparently, there's nothing older people are good at because I, you never hear older people say that. I remember, was it two years ago that uh, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, uh, got in a little bit of hot water for suggesting that socialized medicine was really the uh, slavery of doctors and nurses and medical professionals? Remember that? Yes. It seems yes. like he's been vindicated now. But, you know, there's there's not much talk about, you know, uh, that didn't go very far, uh, what Blas de Blasio had to say. And, of course, I'm looking at it with the knowledge that we just had this commission, the National Commission on Military, National and Public Service, which was all about service. And I lit into them at a forum that I flew to Colorado to to be there. Be, at this whole forum, they talked about service and how it's wonderful to help young people and give them a job and so on. When their main, you know, license from Congress was to tell Congress whether to expand draft registration to women and what to do with the selective service system. And so they're, they're underneath the pretty little pictures of people getting jobs, which is a great thing. You want to help young people by offering them a job? Have at it. But underneath that is the ugliness of the fact that they want to be able to conscript people, to force people into service. And they don't want to talk about that. They want to pretend it's all service, whether I offer you a job that helps you make it into your career or I drag you out of your home and force you, maybe hit you a couple times with a billy club because you didn't come willingly, and then force you to go fight and die in Vietnam or somewhere, those are all the same. It's all service. That is so dishonest, so dishonest. Their, their uh, website is Inspire to Serve. Well, they, it should be conscript to serve, forced to serve. <laughs> beat you up unless you serve us. Um, it just is so obnoxious. But so I looked at it from, from that vantage point. You don't hear much about that. They want to be able to force people, but they recognize at the same time, the public's not into that. We don't like the draft. I remember back in the 90s, or not, not, not in the 90s, in, I think it was 2004, Charlie Rangel, uh, the New York congressman who uh, lied to get a rent-controlled apartment and and did some other things that weren't quite uh, very nice guy, except maybe a little bit crooked. Um, he wanted a draft because this would help people. You know, he was in World War II, and you know, it was all wonderful. I I've read the history of World War II. It didn't seem so wonderful to me. I mean, I'm glad it ended like it did. But but uh, anyway, people have these notions that somehow if we draft people and force them all together, that all of our problems are going to go away, which of course is, you know, completely ridiculous. 
but also that there's not going to be any pushback. Um, and there is going to be a pushback. And of course, when in, in 2004, there began to be rumors that after the election, Bush was going to go and institute the draft. And these rumors caught enough momentum that Republicans took Rangel's bill that he'd been on all these different TV shows talking about. He'd had articles in the paper talking about how we need the draft. And they decided, let's bring his bill up. It got two votes, two votes out of 435 in the House. And Rangel's wasn't one of them. He voted against his own bill. And then he accused the Republicans of being hypocrites. He accused the Republicans of being hypocrites for bringing this up when the only reason they brought it up was to kill it. No mention of him being a hypocrite for saying he wants this and then not having the guts to even vote for his own bill. So the public does not want the draft. The folks in Washington, not just the politicians, because they're, you know, they got their finger in the wind. They want whatever's going to keep them in power. But there are all these people behind the scenes who love to plan our lives, who think they're God's gift and they should be the one who make all the plans. And they constantly are planning on conscription, how we could, oh, think of all the wonderful things we could do if we could just force people to do whatever we told them. And it will be so good for young people. And I didn't like that at all when I was young. But I'll tell you what, I look at my daughter who's in college, she's 20 years old, she's working all the time to make money because we don't have just blank checks that we hand her. Um, and we help her, but we're not, we're not the blank check people. And, uh, and she's going to school and she's studying and she's getting good grades and she's coming up with scholarships from time to time. And it's all good stuff. And I see her friends and almost all of them are working their butts off and they're trying to make their way in this world. And I've said it before, the idea that this government would get in their way for one second makes me livid. These folks, if you have a need, ask. And if somehow you know, that doesn't work out, then come and say you've got a problem and we'll think about it. But this idea that you wouldn't ask anybody to help, but you would go and pass some law saying that they're forced to help you, that's outrageous. And, and especially when you think about it, and we've written commentaries about this, uh, hypothetical cowardice, I believe was the name of, of one of them. Uh, but we've talked about how they have this idea that somehow the people won't won't defend the country. And this idea that somehow the people can't be trusted. And I think about, well, wait a second. The people have always come forward. In fact, one of the problems we have is that people will defend the country when the politicians have, you know, have put together some stupid scheme that's not about defending the country. I mean, the problem is that we might be hoodwinked because of our, our good nature by a bunch of rotten politicians. And so I think about who should we trust? Should we trust the Congress? Should we trust the administration? Should we trust the deep state in Washington, the bureaucracy to decide what happens, whether our kids you know, uh, uh, will defend the country or not? Should that decision be made in Washington or can the folks in Washington actually trust the American people to defend our freedom? And I point out the people have always been wor worthy of that trust. And Congress has hardly ever been worthy of that trust. So this is, uh, this is something that, you know, we haven't had a draft for a long time. We continue to have draft registration. This commission has urged Congress to extend that draft registration to our daughters, or you know, maybe uh, if you're if you're a little kid um, and uh, and your mother's young, maybe to your mother. Um, and I don't like the draft or draft registration for anybody. It's a ridiculous program. It gives more power to politicians. We I have no fear, absolutely zero fear, 
that we would ever have a threat that the public didn't rise up to defend this country. Um, but I have all kinds of fears that the politicians could, you know, jerry-rig a, uh, a uh, threat and, uh, and, and conscript our kids. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to let them do it. And people need to be aware of it because they're going to continue to make those steps. I think we ought to, uh, as uh, Barney Fife would say, let's nip it in the bud. That sounds like an ending, frankly, uh, though we haven't covered incentives going viral from Tuesday or soft on China on Wednesday. Let's say two things about that just real quick. One is the the, the piece we did about, uh, you know, stuff going viral, incentives going viral were about the incentives to say that this is a COVID-19 death, even when you don't have any real evidence that it is. And the video that we talked about that YouTube blocked, one of the things they pointed out in that is that they have talked to a number of people at different emergency rooms and different hospitals who say exactly that, that they are being pressured to call those COVID-19 deaths. So you might wanna go to the website, this is commonsense.org, uh, incentives going viral is the piece and uh, it's already been somewhat vindicated and the other piece was soft on China and it was about the fact that the Washington Post in an editorial took both the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign to task for hitting each other on being soft on China but the truth is the Washington Post is soft on China the Washington Post, as we pointed out the previous week, the Washington Post has received millions in ad revenue from the Chinese government, from China Daily, which is a news service owned and operated by the Chinese Communist Party. And so um, we can't really trust the Washington Post to give us the scoop on that. At least I have some real concerns that if you're taking money from China, that you might not give us the straight scoop. And I have the opposite view of the post. I didn't necessarily, I'm, I'm not gonna vouch for the decency of either of the campaign's ad making. But I am glad that both campaigns have stumbled on the fact that even though our media seems to be in bed with the CCP way too often, at least in the same uh, economic bed, um, and I think our politicians have completely missed the boat in terms of what's happening around the world and the threat of, of totalitarian China. The American people haven't missed it. They get it. And all the, there was a recent Gallup poll that showed basically 70% of the American people blame China and the communist system that hid the truth during those crucial early weeks for the, the virus. And, and I'll say one last thing. I know we're going long, but uh, one last thing is oftentimes when I talk about this or when I see something on Facebook or other media where people are talking about it, they get hit with, oh, you're just trying to change the subject so we don't blame Trump. And I read in the Washington Post, anytime they talk about Trump taking money away from the World Health Organization or hitting China they always say it in the, in the same sentence. They mention he's doing it to divert attention. Look, we can walk and chew gum both. Hold Trump accountable. What did he do? What did he not do? Let's hear it all. But don't tell me not to look over there and see what totalitarian China is doing. Because... What they're doing is evil, and we've got to pay attention. And we're going to pay attention to both. And we're going to find news and information about it all, whether the news media or social media help or hurt. We as Americans, we've got to do that. Well, that's an ending. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> so, you know, I was just, as you're, as you're speaking this, I think the media has got this completely wrong. I mean, you mentioned this and you apply this all the time. They are actually breeding their enemy. They are helping Trump in some way because more and more people are getting really annoyed with them. 
um, that whole hydroxychloroquine business was nuts. And then the uh, injecting chlorine and light into your body, the whole drinking chlorine business, that was nuts. There was nothing to that. That was, that was, there was, I don't even think. Really... They went out, they, they took what he had said, which actually there is some science behind it. Now, I suspect he didn't quite understand everything that the doctors told him about well, sure. what was happening and some of the things they're looking at. And frankly, I think if they told me everything, I probably wouldn't understand it all either. But what he said was not crazy. And of course, he came back and said he was being sarcastic. And I think that was crazy. But yeah, there you are. That's the crazy part. That's <laughs> yes. But but again, why are we walking on the ledge over here about something that, you know, why not just cover what was actually said? Why not look for if someone says something? Is there some plausibility there? If there is, don't twist it to mean stuff that it doesn't mean. I I was so disappointed that Trump was the nominee in 2016. I didn't see him as an outsider. I saw him as an insider. And yet I'm constantly being disabused of that notion because the insiders like the Washington Post and the New York Times and the deep state so hate his guts. Uh, and even though he says ridiculously nice things about Xi Jinping at different times, he's actually done a few things to combat ridiculous policies we've had toward China. Uh, and so, you know, I'd like to look at what people actually do and not just their persona and, and other things. Having said all that, I'm not a, a big Trump fan. I'm not a, a, a Biden fan. Give us, give us the information. And the information here is that this has been This Week of Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula. You can find us on SoundCloud and at thisiscommonsense.org. This is like the return of the king by this point. How many endings are we to have? <laughs>